Cam Ochoa. I have a question for you. <laughs> okay. <today. laughs> I'm always afraid of the question. <laughs> I know. You should be. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> but here, here's my thing. What gets you to act? Now let me let me qualify this. Like when you like cuz you know, let's use an example. People see the sad dog commercials, right? Very few people throw in the money for that. Yeah. People are like do relief here, charity here, someone on the corner, whatever. There's something happening in the world, you're like I have to do something. I have to educate people. What is like like how do you like what what is it like What's a trigger for you to where you're like, you know what? I have to do something. I have to say something. I have to post something. I have to donate money. Like, what is, what is it that is your motivator for, for doing anything that isn't just like outside of your, or that that's outside of your realm? Like, it's not immediately affecting your life, but you're like, you know what? I have to do something about it. it to some degree. What is that? What makes you do that? Oh, well, I think first of all, I I think it's if I see maybe I usually act for the underdog, if you will. Uh, if I feel like if I've researched something and I know that it's wrong, you know, I might act on it. Uh, let's see here. Um Usually, I mean, it's it's usually something I really feel strong about, but like um, helping like homeless children, things like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I do those things. Uh, I'll if there's a need or if somebody asks me and I know that there's a need and, you know, like there's somebody that actually we helped I helped today and and that um it's really hard for me to 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 say anything because I've always had this mantra of you don't you just do it but you don't go brag about it so uh but anyway I did uh there's a person that's in trouble and homeless and so um that case was brought up to me today so I made sure that I contributed uh, in helping that person out uh, with with some of their stuff. Uh, my immediate family, a lot of times I will help first. So if I think it's a real need and I can understand why that person is in that situation, um, then, then I don't mind acting and, and helping. If I see somebody who, and it's happened more than once, where people have well, for example, I was out in my car, I guess it was about several years ago. I was out in my car and just pulled up in the driveway. Somebody saw me pull up and they came and knocked on my window. And I rode down the my window. I was at my at my house and uh, they were across the street and they were out of gas. And so apparently they, you know, so I didn't mind helping them because it was a uh, an older person and she was trying to get her dad home and they had come here for a doctor's appointment and there's a doctor building in the area. So I, I believe their story. And so I helped them. I've also been known to see people like the, one time there was this, I just kind of watched. So 
I go into the grocery store, right? And this older man was sitting in the parking lot, just sitting there on like the curb. And it was just weird to me. So when I came out of the store, that person was still sitting on the curb with his groceries. And I went over to him. I drove my car up there and I went over to him and I asked him if everything was okay. And his ride had not shown up and he was too tired to walk back to his home. And so I volunteered to give him a ride home. And and so when I did give him a ride home, he was like, you know, he was a good two, three miles away, but he had to have those groceries. So it was just something just gets put upon my heart that I need to help him. I don't help everybody like that. But just if I notice them and I feel like it's legit, then I'll go ahead and and help. Is that what you're asking me? Did I answer the question? <laughs> <laughs> you're kind of quiet. Hey, this know. is the Craft the Draft podcast. <laughs> That's Pamela Channel. I'm Jacob Jesse. We're two educators down in the state of Texas doing what we love, talking about reading, writing, workshop, and so much more. And honestly, so much more. I mean, good Lord, if you guys are... With us listening every week, the amount of things that you hear us talk about. God bless you. You are, y'all are saints and awesome. Uh, We love what we do. We love talking education. Today's going to be an interesting one, I do believe. But we want to tell you that if you enjoy this episode and you're like, man, these guys really are entertaining. They're really doing good work. You can support us over there at patreon.com slash craft and draft. That link is always uh, well, mostly always in the post. Um, you can support us. You get bonus training videos, how to do our craft and draft journals, everything, bonus episodes. There's so much happening over there. You can join us just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna all have. Go join us over there. Get the bonus content. Um, and honestly, just, just join a wonderful little group of educators that support us and keep the lights on, as they say. If you can't do that, don't worry. Leave a review of the podcast if you haven't already. Subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes. Hopefully you enjoyed last week's episode, by the way. That was a Patreon-exclusive preview. We drop them every once in a while. We, we release so many that we can kind of start feeding out the older ones. And we want you guys to kind of see what the Patreon has to offer. So if you like that episode, join us over there. But otherwise, let's get to the conversation. Ochoa, can we be honest with our listeners right now? I, I guess. I didn't know we weren't. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. I didn't know that question was coming. <laughs> this, you and I uh-huh. literally got on way earlier than normal. We're, we're actually starting recording about the time we usually do. Right. Yeah. Right. Because we usually like we're in we're an eight thirty crowd. That's when you and I like to get on. That's when our houses are quiet enough. Usually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it really just helps podcast. We got on about an hour earlier because, you know, with there's shenanigans, we get on, we talk, we catch up, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And well, uh, you and I end up going down uh, science of reading rabbit hole. Where we start uncovering and reading and Googling and doing all kinds of things. And it didn't even start with science of reading. It started with just talking business and about the podcast and everything else. Um, 
And I don't want to, we're not going to unpack everything we just talked about because we don't even know what the heck we, I have like 33,000 <laughs> tabs open on my computer right now. Um, but we we're, we're just now recording. So you and I have had quite the roller coaster of emotions through a bunch of stuff. But the one thing that kept cropping up was this, the idea of programs. And we've talked about programs. Th- that word has probably been said on this podcast almost as much as workshop. Mm-hmm. because in the early days, it was something I railed against because at the time, uh, I mean, I've always railed against it. I mean, as long as you've known me, I've hated anything that <laughs> came off as a program. Um, but we've, we were talking about it because we were podcasting through COVID and we were podcasting mm-hmm. through that whole era. Um, and that you and I were just sharing ideas and from our different campuses and our different limitations and all kinds of stuff. And it's funny to think about that now that we're here in 2024 um, and, and programs are, are, are here to stay, Um, but they're coming fast and furious. And now it feels like they're, they're coming through legislation. They're coming through districts uh, wanting to improve their campuses and improve schools and train teachers better. And teacher training courses aren't working apparently Um, allegedly, I guess I should say. Um, and so these districts are buying fix all programs to get kids to do what? And honestly, my mind's still on what we were really looking at, but, um, and that stuff's probably going to come out in later podcasts, but I, I guess my question to start the conversation is an obvious question, but I feel like it's a good place to start, which is. Why are districts so insistent um, and leaders in districts so insistent on buying programs, specifically for literacy, right? There, we can talk about other programs all day long. It's a literacy-focused podcast. Why do they do it, Ochoa? Is it, is it, is it really because they have a I, – I guess – I don't know. I'm just gonna ask that question. Why? Why? I have my thoughts, but I'm 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 all over the place. <laughs> Ten minutes in, and I'm I'm a bubbling idiot. Okay, so you tell me why they do this. What What's your initial thoughts? Well, my initial thought there's two twofold. I think one is I think you hit on hit on something when you said that uh, we have a teacher shortage, right? I mean, we just don't have. I mean, teachers that are trained in the same manner that I was trained. I know we didn't because when I uh, started, there was no alternative certification unless you were in like a business field, Um, but, or vocational or something like that. But other than that, I mean, you had to have a degree in education uh, in order to participate in education. And at least in, in, you know, when, when, when I was there uh, younger, And so what I've noticed in the last 10 years, I would say 10 years, uh, there's been more and more alternatively, that was the answer to teacher shortage. We needed teachers quickly into the classroom. And so in order to do that, we, and, and the ability to teach online, those things, 
uh, was first put out, I think, in some of these teaching training courses. So you didn't always have to go to a building to learn. I think at first you did with the alternative certifications, but then they started doing those alternative certifications online with just a few people hired to go out and and observe. Um, when When I was teaching, it was always... When I first learned, it was student teaching. You had to do student teaching. So that was an internship. Uh, mine lasted about six weeks, maybe more than that. I think mine was more like 12 weeks because I was uh, middle school and high school. They wanted to in two. And I was a, I had a double a double major. So they had to see me in English for six weeks and, and history for six weeks. So that's what my school required. So um Anyway, and then, you know, I I think I think it's an answer to teacher shortage. Really, I do. And then we had COVID. And when COVID hit, and you and I both know we were all fast tracking on the online learning platforms. I mean, we were, I mean, talking about a learning curve. It was a huge learning curve for many, many people, uh, and uh, me included. And we kind of worked through that together. But there were a lot of teachers that might not, I don't know, I've I've been able to adapt over the years to the different things in some way or another. I've always been able to adapt technology. Um, I'm not as good at technology as maybe you are, uh, as some of the younger people are, especially with the newer things that are coming in. Uh, but I could always hang in there. Does that make sense? I mean, I used to be faster than everybody, but at some point it moved faster than me. But I could always at least you know, hang on. And I think when COVID hit, we had too many people who couldn't hang on. And so everybody, and and here's another thing that COVID did. It put all of our lesson plans and all of our ideas out there online. It also made parents more aware of what teachers were actually doing because they were sitting down there with their kids and actually seeing some of the curriculum that was coming in and what some of the people were doing. And so I think it caused everybody to have a, in some cases, an alarm, I think partially because teachers, it was so difficult to figure out how to do this online. We had never done it before. So the fast answer to that would be these tech people who could actually work quickly, right? And then they uh, offered a solution. And so a fast solution is always the first thing somebody's going to grab hold of. But sometimes they don't realize that the rope at the top is a bit frayed. And if it's too frayed, I don't know how long it'll last. But that's my thinking. That's that's why I think um, I think that's why we're here with a lot of uh, programs. I, I, I the specific thing about COVID mm-hmm. is. I think spot on. And I had a lot of light bulbs pop off when you were talking because I was, because these things have always existed, right? People, programs are nice, right? They're, they're compact. We, we like programs. We like things that make our lives easier, especially in America, right? Like that's Go ahead. Well, when I was younger, the program was the textbook, right? The program was the packet. Yeah. And so it's just changed. Right. And yeah, I feel like I have always, I've always felt weird about this conversation 
um, because I feel like there's very few people who are so inside baseball that they want to have this conversation. That's why me and you are friends. But um, <laughs> the the rise of tech in education has been so interesting to me because I love tech, right? I I'm a young person. Um, I, I've never really been afraid of it necessarily, but I have always intuitively really understood the negative sides of it. And the research shows it. I was reading an article today um, that was talking about how kids comprehend less on screens. This research has been around forever, as long as screens have been around, right? Um, it hurts reading comprehension. It hurts reading comprehension. It hurts all this stuff. Now, I've, I understand the counter argument to that, which is, yeah, it does that now. But when that's all we do, that'll be the new norm. Right. It's like it's like, I guess, the fear that people said of attention spans on TV. Right. It was like, well, if you watch TV, it's going to, you know, kids attention spans. And now every video you see on the Internet is 20 seconds. Like, that's the new format. Like, I'm a big YouTube watcher. Right. You know this. I don't watch TV. I don't watch. I, I barely watch movies. I watched Prometheus for the first time ever. That movie came out like. Over a decade ago, I think. Um, That's a long I, time ago. I, I watched Whiplash recently, too, the drumming movie, mm-hmm. which I didn't like, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I But I wanted to see it for so long, and I finally watched it. So like, I'm like super behind on movies. I just don't keep up with them, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, um, but I'm a huge YouTuber. I watch YouTube all the time. I've been a part of the early days of YouTube before Google bought it. Um, I was making videos about a variety of things and I followed, you know, tons of big names over the course of the years. All that to say, what's YouTube now? It's all shorts because shorts were influenced by Vine, which was influenced, which eventually kind of gave rise to TikTok and TikTok's viral fame and uh, viral nature has forced Facebook to change how it does videos, forced Instagram, which is also connected to Facebook, how they change. And now YouTube does it. So all of these people do these short videos and guess what? It works. I scroll, I will literally scroll for an hour watching random crap for 20 seconds at a time. Right. And it's like, it's, it's, it's Ray Bradbury's worst freaking nightmare is what it is. (laughs) It's, it's Addis Huxley's worst nightmare. It's, it's George Orwell's worst nightmare. I mean, God, think about the amount of propaganda I'm consuming on accident. Right. Without even realizing it, because I'm just like or commercials or ads or whatever. And it's just like, holy crap. And that's someone like I feel like I'm fairly socially aware. But it's like I'm just lulled to sleep by the 20 second. Oh, this is. Oh, it's a cooking video. Oh, it's a political ad. Oh, it's this. And I'm just going. And before I know it, I've I don't even I can't even tell you what I've consumed. I've gone back and looked at my YouTube history. And I'm like, because I'll, I'll think of a video that I want to like rewatch or finish or whatever, like a longer video. Because I also watch podcasts. They're like four hours long, two hours mm-hmm. long. And I'll go back to them like over time. It'll take like a week to finish one. Um, And I'll go back and I'll try to find it without Googling it. I'll just try to search it in my history. I'm like, gee, like what? How many videos have I watched? And <laughs> it's it, it's this idea of... So it, it, on that aspect, sorry, I had to circle back around to my thoughts. That's where like the, I do understand the, 
there, there's a negative thing to this, but there's also a piece to where it's like, I understand the counter argument to that, which is, yeah, we're just going to get used to it. Right. We're going to move forward. And I'm like, okay, fair. Let's, let's, let's keep that for a minute. When we talk education, we're not talking the the new normal necessarily. And I mean, maybe we are, but I, I, you know, I've always thought we were fighting for something different than that to where we're talking about, you know, what does education mean? What is, what does it mean to be literate? What does it mean to be able to, to read? Like, are we going to start getting novels like that? Like our novel, like is the novella going to be the new format? I mean, maybe, I mean, I well, guess it you, goes back to like the rise of thrillers, right? Like the, the biggest selling genre outside of romance, which is the number one selling genre in America, is is thrillers, right? They they go pretty much hand in hand. Both highly female audiences because females are most of the readers in America anyway. Um, but so those, but both of those read very fast, right? There, there's not a lot of long drawn out. Now, some of them are like Outlander, which would I guess could be considered romance, but it's historical romance. Those books are very artistically written. She's she uses very long sentences and stuff like that. But that's that she that uh, I forget her name, but Diane something, right? You know what I'm talking I think about. So. You like the yeah. show, Outlander? Don't you like the show? Was that you that liked it. it? Oh, it wasn't no, you. Maybe it was our partner. It's, Someone it's I know. Our partner. Y'all yeah, have she used to watch it. She yeah, yeah, yeah. watches it. I don't. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, but, so I guess novels are like that. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's this weird thing of COVID hit. And I think you're right about this to where we needed fixes in a time where people were like, I how do you do small groups in a zoom? You know, how do you, how do you teach in a zoom? I remember my kid, you know, everyone who knows me and knows the podcast, my kid's autistic. He didn't do zooms at all. Like he, I got him on like two or three of those and he was out. Right. So he had no education outside of what he did. Multiply that by millions of kids like him. Multiply that by teachers and districts that didn't have funding. Right. For me, like what my teaching became was I didn't do any of that is I did my mini lessons the same way. And then I opened up zooms and I wrote with kids and we talked about their writing on zooms and we talked about their books. And that's what my class became when we were all shut down and I was in the house, mm-hmm. but I didn't rely on the programs. I didn't do any of that because I was like, that's not, it's not what I want to do, but I can see on a, on a system scale. Right. I think about this as a principal all the time is if you're trying to move something as a system, you're like, okay, guys, guess what? I just made your life easier. We just, we just, we just spent you know, $80,000 on this program. All you have to do is assign it to kids, and then you get grades. How easy is that? Yeah. And then they read and they pass tests, right? Right. They have literate lives because there's fun characters in the videos they watch. Until they get tired of it. <laughs> Have you tried to control class when they're like, oh my gosh, you're just going on and on. Will you please teach us this? Can you teach us? I can't tell, you know, when we had to do that, that, I mean, they were raising their hands and I'd go over there thinking I was going to help them. And they go, is there any way you can teach this instead of letting them teach it? Because yeah. this is like really getting old. I, I, I have said this so many times. There is... You you don't one of my most viral posts I ever had on social media was I it was a picture of me laughing. And I said, me laughing at 
all the people that think they can replace me with a computer program. Um, and here's the thing, though. There are massive interest that would rather teachers just be program directors. The, the, almost the same interest that want your your fast food workers to be a computer. Yeah. And and your trucks to be driven by computers, right? The the whole the whole uh the 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 semi trucks, the the fleet of blue collar workers that are employed by all of this just being replaced by computer programs because it fits the bottom line and all this other stuff. And there's, there's massive interests that want to see that happen. And it's weird to draw that correlation, but I think they're, they're very similar in the sense that you, there is a lack of respect for workers that may not make tons of money, but their, their value of the human piece that they bring to stuff is so undervalued in the current system specifically in the systems of of innovation and and the constant push for cost effective strategies as the dollar becomes more bloated and and uh the economic situation becomes more fat right and i think teachers in, in some instances and maybe i'm off base here so you can correct me is i feel like teachers are are in the same boat as you know the people driving your truck from point A to point B across America to get you the goods that you need. They're, they're a disrespected class of people doing very real work that is, is undervalued by pretty much everybody except for the people that know someone in the profession or they're in the profession. Do you, I mean, is, is, is it off base to draw that connection? Well, I think, I think your idea of um, being replaced, you know, it, for the longest time, I mean, I, I really felt like, no, we, there's no way we would ever be replaced. I mean, how can you replace the human element? I mean, I do think of Ray Bradbury's computer. Can't remember the name of the short story, but the child was being taught by the computer at home and how that turned out to be. I think that was, is that Isaac Asimov, iRobot? The oh, original iRobot? No, there was actually a Ray Bradbury short story. But yeah, I, I remember the your that Isaac one too Asimov. though. Yeah, yeah. God, and that how? I'm pretty sure I don't. I don't think it was Isaac Asimov. I really think it was. Hey, Ray I'll Bradbury. Google it. You talk. I'll Google. Okay. Well, anyway, but it's it's the fact that they were being taught at home uh, by the computer, and and you know you were thinking at that time, there's no way. I mean, that's ever going to really happen. I think for the first time, I'm really with this with AI, which we both talked about. And some of these, uh, some of these agendas and things like that. I, I'm kind of thinking, I think they might be working towards that. I mean, because just think about how much if you don't have to pay a teacher, that's quite a bit of money a, a district could save. I mean, but I don't know if your education is going to be. I, I just don't think you can take the place of that human element in the classroom for our children. I mean, I think you're going to, I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that the, the kids that you teach will be despondent if they don't have somebody who, you know, who knows them. I think after a while, they'll just be isolated. And I don't know. I mean, I think that there's an emotional aspect there that teachers, you know, the affective part of education is just as important I think as yeah. the learning itself. Did you're not talking about the Velt, are you? 
No, but I do like the belt. The belt yeah, was so the, that's the home, that's the, right? Yeah, they're in the room. They're in the room and then, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I, don't I, know. I was trying to Google around. It made me think of. Uh, I'll see if I can find it. But you I know what's know. crazy? Oh my god, this is such a random pull. Hang on, God, I have so many tabs open, Ochoa. Um, Genesis book. There is a book called Genesis. I found it randomly. Um, not. The Genesis of the Bible. But it is. Oh my God, what's it called? Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here it is. I, I demand everyone go read this. The book is literally massively short. The audio length is three hours. <laughs> it is. Um, I'm only saying that because I saw it here. So, paperback. I would love for you to read this, Ochoa. God, I might actually start rereading it tonight. So it's 160 pages, okay? So mm-hmm. it is, the guy wrote it after he went and studied AI, but here's the description. It says, Annex thinks she knows history. Her grueling all-day examination has just begun, and she passes. I'm sorry, and if she passes, she'll be admitted into the academy, the elite governing institution of her utopian society. But Annex is about to discover that all of her learning, the history she's been taught, isn't the whole story. The academy isn't what she believes it to be. It's a brilliant novel of dazzling ingenuity. Annex's examination leads us into the future where we are confronted with unresolved questions raised by the science and philosophy, such as what is consciousness, what makes us human, if artificial intelligence were developed, into a high enough capability, what special status could humanity still claim? Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's the whole, it's the, it's such a great book because it's, to me, it was a throwback to, um, Asimov and iRobot and the foundation and all of those other books that he did. Um, and I know iRobot's a short story, but those, this, it's, it's almost like the, the transhumanism of how much do you stop technology? It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's almost like the the push for the anti-social emotional learning because of its ties to certain things. Just teach the facts. Just teach this. Okay. Well, I mean, if you literally just want teachers to teach the facts, then, then hire, a, get a program, put them on a computer. But I don't think that's what teaching is. I don't think that's what literacy is. Literacy is not just decoding words and, and saying them. Literacy is a is a ancient practice of philosophy and psychology and political discourse. Uh, literacy is is a way to create identity. Literacy is a process of meaning making in a world where we're <laughs> a ball of rocks spinning in space. Um, <laughs> It is, it, it's, it's, there's a human element, um, that is honestly kind of scary to think about like what happens if we move beyond that? What happens to art? What happens to all of these things? I mean, it, you're stepping into the world of AI, right? You and I mm-hmm. have talked about and praised AI for a lot of things, but it's also like what happens when you start getting products that say the first AI novel and it becomes a national bestseller, an international bestseller or 
or we start getting things where it says our our books are published by real people and 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 real writers and you you have you it's that constant it's the constant battle but the all of this connects to these programs in the sense that we have to ask can computer programs people can computer programs teach kids the way teachers do and i think people initially want they want to believe yes because it's the anti push against college too right it's why I go to college for fifty thousand, eighty thousand, a hundred thousand dollars for a degree when I can just learn all of that on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I have watched Harvard biblical lectures that probably has educated me on the Bible in so many ways that people paid to go like massive amounts of money to go here in person. And I got to listen to it on YouTube in my pajamas in my bed. Right. Mm-hmm. And people, but people equate that to this knowledge factor and, and to a degree it is, but I don't, I think there's a difference between, it doesn't matter if you have the knowledge, it's the same thing with Google. It's like, yeah, you can get every answer we've ever had in the universe with your browser on your phone, your iPad, your computer. Sure. Awesome. Great. You're, you have more access to anything on the planet. But can you use it in an effective way? Do you have any idea of its meaning? Can you decipher the BS that's in front of you versus the actual legit information that you need? And I think that's where the human element comes in. But what happens when programs teach you that? What happens when AI does that? Are we dying, Ochoa? (laughs) Is that what all of this means? Well, I mean, I I did watch an interview with... uh... Uh, Elon Musk. Oh yeah, that's one, a good. That, that's a good one to that pull up. One? Yeah, and and one of the things he he said when in this discussion on, it was, was the, it was Elon Musk and who, Tucker. Uh, no, it was somebody else. I think, but it, but I think there was one with Tucker. Sure. Okay. Keep going, it might have been one with Tucker. But anyway, one of the things Tucker's that, done. By the way, I, I'm Tucker's done some good interviews now that he's independent. Oh yeah, because now he can he's, choose what he wants well, to do. He's bringing all kinds of people. Yeah, which I think he's okay. I think he's he's All not right. limited by the the corporate pool cuz he's just funded by him. You're making my point. So so the thing is as he said he's he's a he was talking about when he he was discussing with I guess the the Google person and I don't know all their names but uh he was discussing cuz they're the ones who did the uh AI, right? Yeah. Okay, and so he was a part of that, but he but now he's thinking he needs to do a counter because um, he's pro-human. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the things he said. He's a, he's a speciesist because he believes in in the human species, and so maybe maybe that's your first question. But then you're talking about Tucker for a second, and you made that. So here's my point. What I think. Elon Musk was saying was that the human element is important and it is whoever has the charge, whoever's in control of the AI, somebody will be in control of it. And they're teaching it. Well, they're teaching it with their bias. Okay, so you just mentioned Tucker. Tucker's no longer under the control of whoever it was he was working for, right? And their agenda. So now he's a free agent. Okay, so now let's go to programs in the classroom. 
the programs are biased by whoever controls and created that program. Now, granted, they will be, I mean, a teacher has their own bias, but that teacher can also go, oh, this is bias. This is not what our district wants. I can, you can put a halt on it because you have the ability to think logically. I don't know. And and then Do now you, when well, you're looking at workshop, workshop's all about choice and autonomy. Well, and that's the thing, right? So you're you're mm-hmm. talking about like it's an interesting thing because you're saying, well, teachers are biased, people are biased. Of course they are. Here's the difference though. Do you want your kids learning from a bias? That is so corporately desensitized and tested through policy, political policy, all of the people that fund these bills that fund that ultimately fund these programs, all of these think tanks from the, the, the same 100 billionaires that fund everything. Do you want them? Do you want their bias or do you want to interact with a human to where you can talk about, hey, I don't understand this assignment. Can we talk about it? Or, hey, I feel like this assignment leans a certain way. Can Is there anything that we could do? Is there a way yeah. my child could to fluctuate through this? And the thing that we talk about, and the thing I think why you and I love Workshop, which is where I think you were going with that, was mm-hmm. our goal in Workshop, and you, I mean, there's hundreds of hours of us talking on the internet about this, literally, which is never... You should believe this, this, or this. It's we set up learning parameters based on standards, mm-hmm. and we say, you go, and you say what you want to say. I'm going to teach you how to say it in ways that are academically correct, that are grammatically correct, that uses style, voice, choice. Sure, I'm going to do all of those things, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you're going to write what you write because that's what my class is. My mm-hmm. class is you. I'm secondary. The only thing I'm doing is teaching you the skill set that it takes to read effectively and write effectively. Outside of that, it's driven by you. And that that there's the only bias that could creep in is is the stuff that you bring in for your mini lessons, the stuff with that, the stuff with that. But that's so that's 20% of your class versus your kids are watching a computer program for 45 minutes a day. It's, it's wild. And then we talk about the lack of empathy. We wonder why the kids don't have the, the, the empathy to, to, to say, oh, they're desensitized by this or that, or they're, they're, the moral landscape of, of, of humanity is here. But it's like, what are you talking? Yeah, you want to know how you degrade the moral landscape of people? Is you, for, you put them on computer programs for eight hours a day. No, it's true. It's the, it's the same. It's the same concept of uh, the you know the, the there are a lot of talking points of like the degradation degradation of marriage, and I think there's a lot of conversations with that. But like the that concept in itself, the the family unit, so to speak. There's tons of studies that shows that the family unit is is a powerful construct. It leads to to social uh, and economic prosperity. There's tons of research that shows this, right? And people blame. All, all the things for this, but truthfully, it's, there is, that stuff crumbles when, when you are, when you let corporate interests fund all of this stuff just for convenience. It doesn't mean it, technology is bad. It doesn't mean these programs are bad. It doesn't mean social media is bad. It doesn't mean any of that. It's when 
all of these things are funded by it's the same like i said it's the same 100 billionaires that fund every it's probably less than 100 <laughs> i'm using that number just for whatever but it's it's probably less than that right it's the same thing of like saying like it's mm-hmm. it goes back to uh oh my god the movie the network do you have you seen this i know i've referenced it 10,000 times on this podcast i don't know if you've ever seen the movie have yeah i end up with Beatty or something 1978 ned Beatty, and he in it uh, I think he's the one who gives the speech. Peter Finch. Are those the characters? Hang on. What is this? No. Peter Finch, William Holden, Ned. Yeah, Ned Beatty. Yeah, Beatty. Yeah, I think he's the one. I think he's the one who gives the speech you're talking about. Yeah, the tube. Yeah, that's right? him. That's Yeah, he's the one who gives the speech. It's like, for people that don't know this, good Lord, this is such a... A reference, but like, <laughs> but like, that's what he's talking about, right? That whole movie oh. was made in the freaking seventies. Ocho, it's one of my favorite movies of all time because I'm like, this is this is reality today. We literally have something called mm-hmm. YouTube that does this, but it's it's this. You have there's a quote in that movie where it says, "America, democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. There's a college of corporations fighting for your." you know, dollar or whatever, but it's true. And that movie was made in the seventies. All of those corporations that that movie talks about have consolidated into like 10 <laughs> like, and it's only gotten I worse. You're probably right. I know. Yeah. I, I feel like we're getting stepping conspiratorial, uh, stand and maybe that's craft and draft after dark, but <laughs> the way this relates to education is, is this is all their funding is coming from these people. The programs mm-hmm. are coming from this because it benefits the bottom line of these people who are highly invested in AI. They're highly invested in computer programs. They care. They probably do care about education, but they don't care about your job. They don't. They they see the teacher as secondary to childhood education. And there has been such a massive political backlash to the way schools are run, honestly, because schools are difficult. The The public education system is old in America specifically, and it needs to be revamped. And so I think that's a part of this is that there are a lot of issues with the public school system, how districts are run. You know, you get, you have schools with 2,600 students, you know, in a title one district and you have violence and gangs and drugs and all that stuff does exist in these high schools, right. And in these places and middle schools, but these people are it's it's their their they're funding these these solutions and districts instead of solving them they're saying you know what we have we have a hundred thousand dollars of title one funds of course we'll buy this program it's going to fix everything because they don't care they, they care they care about their their bottom salary sorry i'm going on no you're good you're good you're on your you're on your thing so go. i know well they want their their last five years right because they get the no. way the, the salary structure they get to these uh, these high level positions and they're like, you know what? I need five years of this salary that I'm good. I can retire. They don't care. They want the they, they want the the uh, the growth now. They want the improvement now because they come in and they're like, hey, guys, I need this amount of time. I'm going to improve things. You just stick with me. And then once they, they buy these programs, they do all these initiatives and they're like, oh, but it takes four years for the initiative to work. And like, OK, well, we got to give them four years. And then by then they have one more year where they write it out. They say deuces. They enjoy their wonderful retirement funds off wherever they go. 
And that is real, and you know it, Ochoa. That is one of the fundamental problems of how we fund education is is the employment factor of how all of this works. 100% that influences these decisions. I would like to disagree with you, but I can't. I mean, that's one. I mean, I got into education to educate. I remember in an interview I had with one of my principals, uh, why are you doing this? You know, was the question and something like that. And I remember saying, I'm I'm not here just to get a salary. I'm here to to educate children. I mean, this is what I want to do. I'm not in for the next, you know, promotion and stuff. And and I mean, I really saw myself retiring only as a teacher and I, I didn't go for all that other stuff. But we do in our system, we have, at least in Texas, I don't know what it's like in the other states, but we we do have a situation where you just have to have what two years, three years in the classroom and you're moving on. I can't tell you how many people's like, I mean, they're they're not even they make it harder for everybody because they're really they're just holding their on on their own for a little while so they can get out and go be uh that next paying position. And and so as a result, yeah, they okay, you're right. I need to raise my salary and here I am. Um, so I don't know. I I think that's a real issue. Because those people who are are a lot of times, not all of them, you're not that person, but they didn't stay in the classroom long enough. And so now they come in and they're trying to help, you know, so really it's easy for a program. It's it's better to just do this program. You do it. Be quiet. Leave me alone. I'm getting my money. Now, that is probably harsh for me because I've always been really nice, but I guess y'all can tell I'm not beholden to anybody. Yeah, you're free. <clears throat> well, that's one of my favorite quotes from Mary Howard. I saw her at a ILA. <laughs> And she says one of the biggest benefits of being retired is she don't care about anyone thinks of you. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. So you you talked about me going to admin. So yeah. one of our uh, coaches at my campus, she is working on her admin cert, and I've been kind of helping her and getting her stuff done, and you know doing the all the certification stuff that she has to do. And she talked to me, and she goes, she goes, how are you liking it? Oh, because one of the things that she needed, she was, I needed to be a mentor, but you had to be there for three years. And I said, no, I'm, I was like, this is my second year. She says, oh, I thought you came from somewhere else. I was like, I did, but I was a teacher. She was like, oh, she was like, I didn't know middle school teachers could jump to high school. And I was like, I mean, it happens. It's not particularly common, but it happens. Um, but yeah, it was my second year. And she goes, well, how are you liking it? And I said, honestly, I was like, I really do love it. I was like, there's things that frustrate me 100%. Because I'm learning how to be a leader, but I'm also learning how to navigate the very political nature that that comes into play at this level. You, there's there's a lot of political stuff. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of inside baseball things that happen. There's a lot of you know you're privy to a lot of conversations, but you really don't have a lot of power as this as a principal. You do to a degree, but not really, right? And so mm -hmm. you see a lot of stuff, but you can't do a lot about it. Um, and so I told her though, as I said, she asked me why I did it, and I said honestly, I became a principal when I did because I still love teaching. I was like, how am I gonna how am I gonna lead teachers if I hate teaching? Which is what a lot of principals do. I was mm -hmm. like, I didn't care about the salary. I was fine. I don't, I've never been a money chaser. 
ever. If I was a money chaser, Teach Me Teach would be filled with ads. And I only do them every once in a while in order to generate money. That's it. Like, like I, I generate the money and then I let it sit and I fund things and then it learn, runs low and I run another ad. And it, it, that's how I've always done Teach Me Teacher. I've never been, I'm not a slave to the law. I don't care. Money's, money's money. You spend it, you lose it, you gain it. It is what it is. Right. And maybe that's dumb of me and maybe I could have a lot more wealth in the long run. But I care about teaching. I care about education. I care about all the things that we talk about on this podcast. And I told her this and she goes, oh, that's really cool. She was like, I really didn't know that about you. But I think that out of the people that I've met in principalship and leadership, I think that's about 10 percent of people that go to the next level. And that, I mean, that's probably the case in any industry, right? I mean, I think most mm-hmm. people care about money. They care about whatever we've had. I talked to a guy who just resigned mid-year, and he did so because he got offered a job that paid pretty like three times as much as he was making as a teacher. And he felt bad about it. And I talked to him, and I was like, you know, you do what you're right for your family. You know, you're doing this. But in my head, I truly, I was thinking like, you know, it, you feel bad because you understand the power of teaching, but you're leaving because you don't value what you're doing as much as that money. That's just true. That's right. And it's, it's yeah. not it's not a bad thing. I I want right. those people gone. I don't want them in teaching. Right. Like, it, but like, so I don't have any ill will to anyone who decides that they don't want to be a teacher. Good. I don't mm-hmm. want you to be one. Now, do we lose people that probably shouldn't come to that conclusion because of bad leaders, bad districts, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people that leave should. I said that in COVID. Tons of leaders, tons of principals quit, tons of teachers quit. And I would say 70% of them probably should have. And that might sound harsh, but it's also like, I think that we're, we have been in a transition period through education for a long time. And I think that there needs to be a reality check for these teacher programs. You don't teach because you love kids and you want summers off. That's fine. And those are cool. And those are nice perks. But I got to tell you, you're not going to love a kid that's tearing up your classroom every day. You're not going to love that kid who's constantly interrupting your lesson and, and calling you names or it, or calling you a racist or, or uh, you know, do, doing anything to, to make your job harder. But you have to deal with them every single day, right? You teaching is an, is an, is a light amidst tons of darkness. You, when you're a teacher, especially if you're a teacher at a high need school, you see society's problems in vast ways. Mm-hmm. You see cultural problems in vast ways. You see, you see how what we're doing as a nation crops up in in strange things. You also see tons of good too, right? You see the the mm-hmm. beacons of light, and you see these beacons of hope and whatever. And it's it's very inspiring. But the people, the teachers that should be in teaching, are the people that see that and they can fight through the hard moments. The people that shouldn't be teachers are only the people that they want to be praised. They want to talk in front of a classroom. They want to be told they're an amazing teacher. They go sit down at their computer and kids go learn, right? They go do work. Yeah, but we have, we have, it seems like we're, I, I sit down, I, I think I shared with this with you uh, off, off air, but, uh, you know, I sat with some of my friends who are now still in the classroom, right? They're, and they're all at a different grade level or different, like, secondary versus elementary versus high school, uh, uh, middle school, high school kind of thing. And so we sat down and and I was listening more than I was talking because, you know, I'm not in it right now. And so I was just listening and uh, 
one of the complaints was that the people that they're that are actually wanting to be in education right now, the people that are being first of all, it's difficult to hire people. There's just not enough people. And when they do hire them, they're just they're just there. The the people, the few people that they've hired, they they complained at the fact that they feel like they just want to go run the program and then go home. And so they're not getting there. They get they barely walk in. And I'm not saying this is everybody. I'm just saying this was the complaint that was made to me about the few people that they are now around that they hired. And but they it's like they're getting their paycheck and they're going home. And um and they were they were concerned because you know, they were there for the kids. I mean, that's why they my friends got into education because they wanted to make a difference in these kids' lives. And they are seeing a huge change, um, you know, just from last year to this year based on the things I heard. And a lot of it was the fact that they're having to hire people that that are there to just run the program, if you will. And um, so it's been, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, when, when I got in, um, it was very common for the parking lot to be filled before, you know, if we started at eight, it would be filled before 7.30 and by seven. And it was very common for people to be up there till after it went dark until, you know, dinner time. And we were up there all the time like that. And I don't know if it's, I don't know what the difference is. Maybe it was just poor planning as I was, you know, but at the same time, uh, <laughs> you know, but people were up there late. They didn't mind staying. They were staying for the kids, you know, in tutorials. They were staying, they were getting there early for the kids in tutorials. They were running uh, clubs in the morning. They were uh, watching games in the afternoon. I mean, that's what it, what it was like when I started and almost what it was like when I ended but I did start noticing a change, especially after COVID, where some of the people that that they were going, I mean, it was very common for the parking lot to be empty by five or by, you know, and we were getting we were getting out at four. Very yeah. common for people. I mean, a whole entire wing would be completely gone. The whole would group. You, would you say that what's asked of teachers today is more than? What was asked then? I I think the pressure's greater. So I think that's the difference. And th this is me playing devil's advocate, okay? Because oh, initially... Oh, no, I'm with you on that. Well, initially I'm on your side, but it's also, I think, the, the pressure of the the mental health and the the self-care and stuff. I think that movement has happened in teaching a lot because there's it's just the pressure of what's happening in the classroom is so high that uh, mm -hmm. why would teachers want to be there? Because they're just being berated and it's they they work hard in these classrooms and they're told they can't do certain things and then you know uh, they're they're told they can't teach this, they can't teach that, they have okay. to do it this way, and then they have a principal that walks in and doesn't give them any care, no training, and they're like, you have to do this, oh, why are your scores so low? And it's like, well, yeah. And then you have a whole group of teachers saying, you know what, only work contract hours. 
No, I, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to step in there. Sure. I agree because while I was sitting there listening to them and listening to the mandates that they now have to do that I did not have to do last year, but now they have to. I was thinking to myself, I actually, I got off, I, I got, I left that, that dinner and I called my mother, you know, because, you know, my parents, I grew up in a lifetime of educators. I've, I mean, that's, I don't know anything different than education. And I called my mom and I said, I got out at the right time because I would feel suffocated with the things I was hearing that they now have to do that I didn't have to do last year. And and what it is, it's all the mandates. So I think the man, I think you're right. Maybe they're being asked more. I don't know if they're being asked more. More might be the wrong word. I think the higher pressure. I I think it's the higher pressure, but I think, you know, now you, you just mentioned it and I think it's this autonomy. And I think you and I had this conversation years ago in our office together. And I, I remember this one, you were kind of playing devil's, devil's advocate. And I told you, I said, but, but Jacob, I like my autonomy. <laughs> I, yeah. I remember saying that to you. And, and I, the art we've, we've talked about the art of teaching and it's the art of teaching. If you will, it's that it's, it's everybody's individuality that makes it enjoyable. It's it's the fact that we as teachers, to me, the art is knowing your classroom, knowing what each kid needs, and you're flexible enough to create a lesson that's designed just for that classroom, right? That meets the needs of all of your kids. In a timely manner that helps them with their affective side. You know what I mean? In other words, it's to me, it's it's the ability to do that. It's the ability to, on a dime, see that what you're doing is not working, right? And you can take it and change it, just tweak it right then and there on the spot or identify that moment in time where that's a teachable moment and you can stop and go, okay, we put this on the hold for a second because obviously you didn't learn your semicolons like I asked you to, but right now we got a semicolon question and we're going to stop and answer. Yeah, I'm just using semicolon because it popped in my head. But, but if I have to do what, if I have to stay on the exact same script, if you will, or program or do like you said, we're being told that we have to do certain things in a certain way. We can't do this. We can't do that. Well, if, if, if that's the case, then um, maybe we don't need teachers. If that's all they need is somebody to do what, what the program is. I don't know. Anyway, you got me on that. Well, it is cost effective in the sense that you don't have to pay. I mean, guess what? You have to pay me a lot. They, they they had a pay raise when I left because what happens what happens when when districts need to cut who do they cut first? Well, they'll either cut the bread new ones or the ones who cost the most money. Sure, they'll be like my dad was offered a retirement package because mm-hmm. he got made a lot of money because he was so also a head coach. If you're on the outside and you hear uh-huh. there's a crisis of funding in Texas, for instance, by the way, our governor. Uh-huh didn't fund an educational bill unless there was vouchers included. And right. so districts all across Texas are having to have cuts. They're having to change, they're having to do all this stuff because they're not getting funding from Texas, but Texas is passing new mandated laws that 
te- that schools have to do, yeah. right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. they're being mandated to do more, but they're not getting funds from the government. So they have to figure out how to do it. So they start doing this. And so if you're an outside entrepreneur, an outside billionaire, and you're seeing this, but you're not in the weeds of education, you're just, you're solution oriented, right? You're someone, you're sitting in think tanks, you're trying to figure out where your expertise can go. What is the easiest sell on the planet? Hey, guess what? You don't need to have 20 kids in a classroom. You can put 45 in there and put them all on Chromebooks. And this program will do what that one teacher did. You don't need small class sizes. So if you don't need that, guess what? You don't need as many teachers. You don't need as big of buildings. Guess what? Your kids don't even have to be at campus. You can get attendance if they're at home. You can get paid. The school can get funded. Kids can be at home. Oh, you have you have you have struggling kids. Don't worry about it. Put them on the computer. Put them at home. Tell it. Call it a day. That's such an easy sell to people who are facing insurmountable problems uh, mm-hmm. in the current in the current system. It really is. It's it's an easy sell. I understand. To go back to the question I asked you at the beginning is, I, I get it. I understand that, but is it the proper choice? I don't think so. Well, I was always taught you get what you want from hard work. And that's not putting in the work. No, no, it's not. And and I think that you're and that this cycles into, I guess, my my trucker analogy, which is, you know, my, my uncle's a trucker. He drove he still does, he drove cement trucks for his whole life. Um is the the blue collar workers it, they're going to slowly i you know you kind of almost see it in a conspiratorial way is you won't need these workers eventually and so replace them with ai you need people to fix ai you need someone to restart the modem at mcdonald's when it when it crashes right you need you need those people sure yeah when, when i worked at mcdonald's we i told this kid the other day i said we called the bin he goes what's the bin? I said, well, we didn't have microwaves. So we had to figure out thinking (laughs) by looking at data and trends as to how many cheeseburgers we had to call in the bin, how many Big Macs, how many McRibs, how many whatever. We need so many French fries. We had to do that. So the person that worked the bin got to make all the decisions and tell the people how many to make. And all of that. And then, and the goal was not to get too much food thrown away. Now they just make it. And then when it gets ordered, they put it in a microwave. I don't know what they do, but anyway, but it's all computerized. I had to count back change. I didn't have a a, a register there that counted for me. I had to do it myself. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I did grow up in a different world. <laughs> Well, you know, what's funny this is the last thing I'm going to say. We're going to close this podcast out okay. in a different world. I think of how much things have changed. Someone was, I don't remember. We were, we were in like a, like a, it was at my campus. We we're just all kind of chatting and they were talking about like checks. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was in my head, I was thinking they were talking about checks. And I was thinking about, man, I've only written two checks in my life and they both had to do with my houses. <laughs> That's it. But when I started working, a lot of I worked at Walgreens, right? And so tons of people would pay in checks. And we had the thing, right? And then but my boss was like, Oh yeah, they had the check, you know, where it would go around like the little it would go whoop. It would go through the thing. Um I think it's funny because that really doesn't exist anymore. 
No, you don't need it. And I just think it's funny. Like that was, I mean, I was 17 when I started working. Um, I'm 33 now. So it's just, I don't know. Times are wild. Uh, who knows what will happen on this podcast? Pa- that's Pam on Chubb, Jacob Chastain. This is Craft and Draft. <laughs> Good God. If you honestly, here's the thing. If you love teaching and you, and you, and you believe in, in what we do and you believe in education, support us. Uh, subscribe, share this podcast, share all these things. You have to share this episode if you don't want to scare people away. Um, but truthfully, like, I mean, this is, we do this work because we love it. Um, and so if you want to, if you feel like that's valuable, if it feels like this conversation that is just two educators really loving what we do, um, is useful. Support us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash craft and draft. Uh, you can join us. You get bonus videos, bonus perks. We try to make it worth your while. So join us over there. If you can't do that, we understand. Subscribe so you don't miss any other episode. Leave a review if you haven't already. And come back next week for another fantastic episode. And know that we are here. For you. <laughs> <laughs>